0: Hello, I'm Gabby Lees and I'm Community Arts Officer for Barnsley Museums. I also coordinate Hear My Voice, which is Barnsley Museum's programme of poetry and spoken word. Hear My Voice has been running since 2016, largely thanks to funding from Barnsley TUC Training Limited. In that time, Hear My Voice has brought poetry and spoken word events and workshops to dozens of different venues all across the borough of Barnsley. We've taken poetry to street corners, in pubs on market stalls and parks, in an observatory and even on buses and trains. We've worked with more than 30 community partner organisations and we've been reaching as many people of all ages as possible. People who might not otherwise have ever listened to or read or had a go at writing poetry before. And we've now worked with more than 50 poets. So some of those are local writers, but there's also writers from all across the UK. Hear My Voice established the role of Barnes's poet laureate, a post that's currently held by the brilliant Eloise Uniman, a young poet from Goldthorpe. So, like everyone, Hear My Voice has had to slow down a bit this year. Well, I say slow down. I mean, obviously, we've not been able to get out into communities as we normally would. We've not been able to stage any events, but we have actually been working really hard to deliver an online programme. And that's something that's really new for us. We appointed Ian MacMillan as poet in lockdown and he's been writing weekly sonnets since the Easter weekend back in April. We've had an amazing response to that. About 160 sonnets written and posted online by members of the public. And quite a few people have been keeping pace with Ian. Regular as clockwork, producing these amazing works of poetry. So now every Tuesday, Ian is introducing and reading out one of those sonnets, one of the ones that the public has sent. In the meanwhile, Eloise Unnemann, our poet laureate, as I mentioned, um, she's also a 111 call operative, so I'm afraid she's been under a lot of additional pressure with that aspect of her work. She's been asking the people of Barnsley to chronicle the current crisis through launching the Hear My Voice 2020 poetry competition. She's produced a fantastic series of top tips for new writers, which I urge everyone to listen to. They're really good. And they're all on the Hear My Voice Facebook and Twitter pages. And they're now also on the Barty Museum's YouTube page. So The competition is open to everyone who lives in the Borough of Barnsley and Eloise is asking people to create a poetry record of the Covid-19 crisis and how that's impacted on the people and the place of Barnsley. As well as Eloise's top tips we've also been working with 10 local writers who've produced a fantastic series of online workshops so there's tons of advice and ideas that you can find in those and they're on Twitter and Facebook too. They hear my voice. The competitions open right through until the end of October and there's no cost and there's no limit to how many times you can enter. So people have already started sending poems in, which is great. There are three age categories, the under 12s, 12s to 18s and adults over 18s. And poems are gonna be chosen from each category to be published in an anthology. You can find all the information you need to enter on the Hear My Voice Barnsley webpage and that's on the Barnsley Museum's website. If there's one thing that working on Hear My Voice has shown me it's that Barnsley makes poets of us all. There are so many talented writers in the borough and all of them able to craft words with grace and a, a real joy for language. I think maybe there must be something in the water. Of course, not every Barnsley poet stays here forever, and one such is Joy Winkler, who was born in Barnsley, but is now living in Macclesfield. Well, nobody's perfect. Joy was Cheshire's Poet Laureate in 2005. She does venture back to Barnsley from time to time, and on one such visit she recorded her recollections of growing up in the town for the museum's oral history archive. Enjoy. Today,
1: Miss Clayton plays her violin, skims, sins across the strings, fends off the devil with her bow, while we tread the circle in flounces of white taffeta, cockades of satin ribbons, halos of may blossom and bluebells. No hands together, eyes closed, no shout. Shout not, plain chant of catechism. Our fingers close on hoops of willow, brash in crepe, woven over with paper roses. Today, Miss Clayton sings, her head tilted up towards the sun. Come, lasses and lads, take leave of your dads. And we dance on, plaiting our innocence to the maypole, moving out and in, high and low, counting every step, so the unravelling comes out clean.
0: <laughs> I remember no, doing no. that myself. That was very positive. Yeah, so Mary's, funnily enough. You know, yes, well we, we're still going. Okay. Still
1: <laughs> going. And we didn't know it was we didn't know it was you know, anything other than yes. what you should do. S- Skipping. <laughs> like, I don't know about Barnsley, but this is about Yorkshire puddings. Um, And this is true. My mother was not particularly a brilliant cook. However, you were no cook at all if you couldn't do Yorkshire puddings. You just had to do them. Um, In Pogmore, they had this club, working men's club. This is an aside from that. They had a working men's club and they did bingo Sunday lunchtime. And sometimes women came to this Sunday lunchtime bingo session and the locals called them pudding burners because if you were there, Sunday lunchtime, you'd left your Yorkshire puddings to burn in the the cooker. Sunday lunchtime, Yorkshire puddings were sacrosanct. Nothing would stop them being made. And it took my mum a lot of years from being married to perfecting these Yorkshire puddings. So, of course, she had to pass that on to me. And if she was incapable of making them, then I had to make them. And this is a true incident of... um, When I made them for the first time. It's called in the mix. On the Sunday my mother gets pneumonia. The Yorkshire puddings still need making. I take four heaps of flour using the big spoon up to her bedroom for approval. Illness clutters the bedside table, tablets, Vic, the kitchen clock that's usually downstairs in the daytime. Crack the eggs, just enough milk Her eyes glint like wet glass. I imagine myself cooking on telly, brash like Fanny Craddock. I tumble flour into liquid, flaunt my fork, circle and cut, circle and cut. There's a thickness to the batter that can't be taught. I take it again for her to feel. She wants to use the flat of her hand. I stand there, try not to touch her nightdress, damp done up to the throat. I poke a tongue of lard into each tin, and she shouts down, wait until it spits. Half one, and they're in from the pub, sitting at the kitchen table with straight backs and expectations. The puddings are golden, on time, hollow. I take hers up on a tray. She's sleeping.
0: I'm just relieved it all
1: out <laughs> <laughs> it did it did but it, it I can't believe that you know talking only about the era of the 60s turning emancipation and all the rest of it and my mother a domineering woman but she still would have those Yorkshire puddings on the table Sunday lunchtime and she still would have my father's meal on the table when he came in from work we've talked. We not talked about Poggy Feast have we Pogmore Feast no, which was a big part of my childhood Gosh, feast, and, and the swings, and the caterpillar, and and the... Oh, there were so many things happened. There was a uh, a pram race, for example, that always happened. It, it went on for a week. Pummel feast went on for a week. Always started with the chapel sing, which was from the Methodist chapel. They would get the organ out into a field, and they would have people around singing hymns. It was called the chapel sing. That started the whole thing off. And then the pram race, which was... <laughs> men, <laughs> men dressed as mothers and babies. So they'd have a big pram, and one of the men would be dressed as a baby with a dummy, he'd be in the pram, and the other man was dressed as the mother. So they're both dressed up female, and they would race the prams through <laughs> the village. It was it was fantastic. You had to be there, really. Anyway.
0: Was there a central... I mean, it was in a I field. I really can't
1: imagine what this
0: yeah, was. Um, yeah. Um, um, Field.
1: It was on a field the, latterly it was on a field in intake lane it, it, this man owned a field and he let them use it um, for the fair and it would be the fair would come along you know uh, I don't know who's it what was it Tubis, was it I don't know which fair it was came so they had all the fairground rhymed but they also had these other events that were part of it. Uh, one of them I don't know what it was called but a man went up this huge tower. It was miles and miles and miles up into the sky and he dived from this tower into a small um, pot of water. <laughs> no, it was bigger than a pot of water. It was a, a vat of water that they set on fire. They put oil on the top of the water, set it on fire, and he used to jump from miles up into this water. It was it was tremendous feat. Wow. I don't know why they stopped doing it. Probably he toasted himself one. <laughs> there was one where they had... Um, a double-decker bus being pulled by a strong man, and the strong man pulled the double-decker bus with his teeth through the village. That, that, but the engine was running. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of wonderful things. People don't know they're born these days, and they don't have these as. No. Um, and, sorry. Um, sorry. You've described Pogba <coughs> there as a village. Mm. Um, is,
0: is that how it was thought of? Yes, yes, I think it it's very close. close to the town centre, so... Yeah, no,
1: it was thought of as a village. It was before the hospital was as big as it is now. Um, it was just small. It was St Helens Hospital uh, before it was the big one, like it is now. So it was just a really old-fashioned um, style of hospital, building and hospital. I had my tonsils taken out there. <laughs> they're probably still there somewhere. No, they're not. Um, so, it, yes, it was, it was the village with the chapel was very big in the village... Uh, St Paul's Church was out of Pogmore so it was just the chapel that was part of the village there a Tom Treadloyle pub was a a big landmark and then gradually it grew so from Tom Treadloyle, where it is further out of Pogmore now those houses weren't there, there were no houses there that's all been built new since, in fact my dad built one of those houses, or I used to go and watch him build it um, so it was just it was fairly small. It finished at Tom Tredlaw Port. And
0: what was beyond? Um, fields,
1: fields, yeah, for miles, and then they they built stuff on there. I know it was it was lovely. And so these feast weeks would happen. These feast on weeks. These fields. Yes, and they were they were originally to raise money for, um, <laughs> the body that supports soldiers, not the Salvation Army. That's not the right thing whoever it is, whoever the charity organisation that supports soldiers, um, it, it was for them that they raised money for Poggy Feast. And it was fantastic. And, and as I say, it went on a whole week, and the, and the events that happened during that week were the same every year. So it always started with chapel sing. It always had a fancy dress. It always had the bonnie babies and the pram race and the fireworks. And they all happened on different days. And it was transformed the village for that whole day. Um,
0: What time of year
1: was it? I think it was June. I'm fairly sure it was June, before the summer holidays, but it was warm. It was when the fields were all, they'd mowed them, especially for the feast, and it was all straw. So the thing that hit you every time was that straw smell. And, of course, then the the big, you know, the big... uh, vehicles that took the fare things on there which had the hurdy-gurdy and the, you know all that they were parked there and it made the smell of the oil from them and the smell of the straw was the thing that I can remember and the toffee apples and the, <laughs> the whole thing the shamrock was one of the rides there and, and, and the caterpillar and the flying chairs and the, the pennies that went down the thing you had to roll pennies down a, a thing and if it landed on a Something that said threepence. You won threepence back for your one penny, <laughs> and the a duck and all that. It was it was great.
0: <laughs> what, did people take time off work for this, or was it?
1: Um... Um, I think they must. I mean, it went on into the evening, right. so it was open during the day, but it did go on into the evening. It was over a weekend as well, so yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was from our house where we lived. We were several streets away from the where it took place. But it was warm enough to leave your bedroom windows open at night. You had to leave your bedroom windows open at night, it was warm. And you could hear we as kids, you were made to go to bed, obviously like kids do at the same time, but you could still hear that hurdy-gurdy hum from the fair, and it was kind of magical. Oh. <laughs> or maybe it was just me. No, I it, no incredible. I it was lovely. Um, there was a, a woman in Pogmore called Minnie and she was very small but she had six really tall sons and she always used to dress up and make them dress up for the fancy dress as Snow White. (laughs) Well you know the the irony of Snow White and the dwarfs and she was Snow White and she was little and the dwarfs were really tall. (laughs) Says it all doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And this starts off about that. It's called Time Out. At sixty Auntie Minnie is snow white, with an entourage of large sons. Lads push dummy sucking dads in prams. Mothers left squabbling in bonny baby rivalry, rolling pennies steal the afternoon. We trail home past the lit kiosks of Toffee apple We trail home past the lit kiosks of Toffee Apple cellars, making way for brash couples. Peacock boys who flaunt rifles for girls hopeful of a goodnight kiss. Feet spark straw scent in the owl light. Swarthy faces of fairground youth rise and fall with the cocks and hens, no hands. They mock danger, patronise punters. The muggy fairground pulse quickens into the grey of a June midnight. Open-throated screams stalk our way home, echoing in empty streets. In bed, our scrubbed faces burn as we strain for the hurdy-gurdy tunes, metal-throated melodies, savage throb of the fair. A single film of Winciette, pulled chin high, protects against the dancing shadows of a bearded lady, a two-headed dwarf, the promised Sandman. It was really about that there. And when you're a child, you, you're scared by things that you're not quite sure about. Isn't it's a a very dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> poem. And yeah.
0: very kind of illicit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But that, I suppose that's how it felt. As a child, that's how it felt. Yeah. And, uh, it was a magical time. I think I've had a thing about Fairgrounds ever since. Maybe that's why we did Fourpenny Circus. That was yeah. all all to do with the... Uh, I wrote a poem there about the bearded lady. and It's all that, you know, things don't have to be actual, do they, to spark your imagination. It's just that idea of a bearded lady. And then it goes on to be something much bigger, like Grimm's fairy tale type characters. I suppose that's what writing was all about. You just let it go. So I'm just going to... Reason story historical library books, um, the only other thing is that when one of the books I bought, uh, borrowed was called Ballet Shoes and I must have borrowed that book so many times, it was such a lovely story. But the other reason I borrowed it a lot of times was because that copy in Barnsley Library smelt of talcum powder. I have no idea why, but it smelled really nice. So I often used to go back and borrow it again <laughs> because it smells nice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just one of those things. I don't know. Um. this poem's called Library Books. Dad. Bullwhips westerns until they give up their storyline. Groans when a woman comes on the scene. Wants victuals to taste like his mother used to make. In the covered wagon of his armchair, pipe smoking, spurs on his slippers. He holds his hand poised for a quick draw sees nothing for miles but blissfully empty desert. Mum eats her way through Cressy novels like McVitie's Biscuits one after the other sucks at the plot juicy like blood oranges. She takes him all around the house ends up in bed with him her gritted teeth in a glass hair interrogated by curlers. Mrs Allen takes love books, doctors on pedestals, nurses lusting after maquette three-pieces, detached houses in cul-de-sacs. She fingers the rose on the spine, her legs on fat cushions, aching for a hero, licks her fingers that taste of marzipan, wets her eyebrows, affecting surprise as she turns the pages. And me, who trawls the library for a fat catch, to keep them happy for another week. They are hungry, ungrateful sometimes, but Mrs. Allen gives me sixpence. I want to find the good books, try from fiction A, read all of Angela Brazil, repeatedly borrow Bally Shoes, it smells of talc. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks for listening, Gemma.
0: Oh, an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, Yeah, that was fantastic. Good. Thank you.